Hello everybody and welcome back to Nine Lives episode 20. 20! We are officially 10 episodes over what I thought I would do when I started this podcast. I thought I would do 10 and it would be like a limited series and I just talk about some FAQs and then that would be that. But no, every week we go one more and yeah, it's just very heartwarming to know that really anything is possible with consistency and if you just keep showing up at something, usually it'll work. So very, I have to say for a little moment, proud of myself that every single week I've come and I think I've delivered something useful, something emotive and I will continue to do so uh, up until Christmas, probably take a little break over Christmas and then come back in the new year with some very motivational stuff. Um, big plans for next year for this podcast. So, uh, feeling better than last week, still got a little bit of a cold, um, but I think everyone has a cold. I think everyone I've spoken to has a sniffle and it's just that time of year. Um, it's really affecting my running, so I've just kind of not been really doing that much fitness stuff because I just don't feel like it. So I've just been resting up, trying to feel a little bit better. Um, I've been feeling a little melancholy. I think it's the time of year. Um, been listening to a lot of Bo Burnham. <laughs> don't know if you know Bo Burnham, but if you are someone who is neurodivergent and feels a little bit different, go and listen to the song that funny feeling by Bo Burnham because yeah that one gets me right in the feelings so that's my little recommendation for today um but today I wanted to talk about something that came to me on a walk after my last week's therapy session um which is a topic I've been wanting to address for a while, but haven't really found the right framework to do it. But something that my therapist said to me um, after I'd spilled out my guts of how I was feeling and you know how I get to these points in my life where I'm still feeling frustrated that I don't feel better, and I'm like, why don't I feel better? You know, I'm doing all of these things, I'm doing the work. Um, and she said to me, do you want to get better? You know, do you want to get better? Do you actually want to get better? Because I think that sadness is your friend. And I wanted this episode to talk about and answer the question, are you self-harming with your lifestyle? So we're going to cover a couple of topics, but I wanted to say one of the biggest ways that people perpetuate this self-harming behavior is through self-talk and becoming an inner bully to yourself. That's probably one of the worst things that I see in a lot of people is how negative your inner dialogue is about yourself, um, allowing negative narratives to go on a loop, on a loop, on a loop, um, not allowing yourself to feel your feelings and pushing them down. But harming yourself uh, can start to feel like a friend, um, an old friend who you've known for so long that they're like part of the furniture. And you go to them when you feel bad and you look to them for release. But one day you might realize that that friend isn't good for you. And even though they are familiar and that pain is safe, it's time to let them go. So do you want to get better? Let's talk about it. So I want to preface this with 
there are a lot of podcasts um, and YouTube videos and influencers out there who talk about protocols for a better lifestyle, whether that be in movement, nutrition, um, mental health. And the one thing that's missing, I find from all of them, is the discussion and disclaimer around for people who struggle with their mental health, getting to those protocols of, okay, let's say, let's take Huberman who, you know, his big thing is sleep and sunlight in, in your eyes, gratitude and movement. But for, if I'm thinking about the regular persons struggling with depression, getting up in the morning and getting to sleep at night is difficult. And to simply say to someone, oh, you just need sunlight in your eyes, eight hours of sleep, okay, I understand what you're saying and I know that those are the tools, but I'm, I'm really finding it very hard to get there. Or, you know, we say movement, movement helps, go for a walk, go for a run. Okay, I understand that, but I'm, my depression is making me agoraphobic. I'm finding it hard to leave the house. So it's really important to make space for the people or I don't want anyone to feel alienated by this discussion today. I'm very, very aware of the work that I did on my mental health and on my other issues and on the trauma that I have in order to get to a space where I now can implement these protocols, where I feel strong enough and able enough that these have become 90% automatic, 10% I've got to give myself a big kick up the arse and I'd say the other five I just stay in bed. <laughs> so just to keep it real. So nature therapy to me is something that's so dear to my heart. Running through the trees, being outdoors, feeling my inner child. We live through the rhythm, rhythms of nature. We are nature. We are not separate. Nature is not a place to visit. It is our home. The feeling of unity and feeling so being a part of something is soothing. Like the mycelium under the earth, the wind in the leaves, the flowers blooming and the bees feeding. I am moving through it and I am a part of it all. I'm a cog in the machine and that is where my bliss is. So when I'm in nature, I feel like everything kind of melts away and I'm able just to be still with myself and feel the rhythms of everything around me and realize that I'm such a small, tiny part of such a big plan and such a big sort of map of everything working together to keep everything alive and I'm just a tiny part of it and sometimes our problems can feel so big and so stormy and black and doomy in our minds and they're so consuming and sometimes when you put your phone away put your phone on airplane mode and you go into nature and nature can be you know a piece of grass and I'll explain I've got a few studies here to explain that it doesn't matter so much about how big the nature is you know you don't always have to go uh, to a resort in Costa Rica to be in nature. You can go to a local park. But being in nature soothes your nervous system. And those feelings that feel like they're overtaking everything in your mind slowly start to feel so small. And you start to feel so small. And that's my favorite feeling. Because I, I have a habit of catastrophizing stuff. Uh, and jumping to really awful conclusions quite quickly. And I'm trying to get a handle on it um, and trying to feel a little bit more <laughs> calm in my life. But whenever I'm in nature and I've discovered recently, I've just moved house and we have a lovely park near us. Um, and I'll just <clears throat> go into it sometimes and just 
it's not necessarily that I even need to go for a run. I'll just go and sit underneath a tree and I just watch the trees in the wind and I'm just breathing and I start to feel smaller and smaller and smaller and my worries feel smaller. And it's a beautiful feeling because you're a part of something that you will all, you were always a part of and you will always be a part of. And you're never alone when you're in nature. And that's so beautiful. You know, a ladybird might walk across your leg or a deer might go past or someone walking their dog. And we're all connected. And it's the most beautiful feeling in the world. And it's so calming to me. So findings uh, have shown how impressive nature's healing powers can be. Just a few moments of a green of green can perk up a tired brain. In one example, Australian researchers asked students to engage in a dull attention draining task, which they pressed a computer key when certain numbers flashed on the screen. Students who looked out at a flowering green roof for 40 seconds midway the, through the task made significantly fewer mistakes than students who paused for 40 seconds to gaze at a concrete rooftop. So there you go. Even just looking at a green rooftop rather than a concrete rooftop can help you feel better about yourself. And I mean, there are so many mental health benefits to uh, nature, reducing stress levels. You can open up creatively. This is a big one for me. I find so much inspiration in nature when I'm feeling stuck and I feel like I've got nothing to say on this podcast or I've got no ideas for workshops for clients or just nothing's coming to me if I go into nature I'll always find inspiration like I'll see a mushroom or okay I was running in France one time um, and I was just having the worst creative block writer's block everything nothing was coming out of my brain and I thought right okay I'm gonna just sit here and berate myself or I can just go outside on my lunch break so I went for a run and where we are in France there are these gorgeous sunflower fields and it was the time of year where it was sort of late August so they're starting to droop but out of these, this drooping field of dying sunflowers, there was this one really long, young stem sunflower with a gorgeous sunny face coming right up and out, very tall. And I saw it and I thought, oh, wow, there you are, blooming despite it all. And that then started inspiration for two podcast episodes, like 10 pieces of content and a chapter in my book. So, you know, there we go. And that's just through one little thing that I saw. And that happens all of the time. You can see like heart shapes in bark or a cloud is a certain way and you just feel that wonder of the world around you and it helps unlock all the little things in yourself and all the memories that will help you be who you are basically. Um, helps you be more present, improves your mood, better physical health, everything, you know. So I know I say it time and time again, but it's free, it's out there and it's so important to be connected to nature because we are nature, we are all connected. And to come back to yourself, to come back to nature is, I mean, it's the most beautiful feeling in the world. If we're looking at the online space and we see people's morning routines, um, they seem to be like a really popular thing, uh, other people's morning routines, which is always very fascinating to me, uh, how interested people are in those sorts of things. Cause we, you know, we all have so such different needs. Um, but, you know, I, they, they used to make me feel really bad, especially as someone who is a business owner and, you know, is kind of into fitness quite seriously now. I used to think I, they used to make me feel very, very bad because it would always be like up at 5 a.m., take my vitamins, have my green juice. This is my to do list. 
you know, it's really, really long and I'm getting all of these things done in my business, all of these things done in my fitness. And I still have mornings where, you know, I got to wake up and I got to brace myself for what my brain is going to do to me that day. <laughs> so sometimes I wake up and I'm like waiting and I'm like, is the big sad? And sometimes the big sad is there. And that means I'm not able to do the protocols that are being barked at me that I should be doing to make my mental health better because my mental health makes it hard for me to do them, right? So I just wanna say, you know, it, it's impossible to be perfect. And those morning routines that you see and all of these routines, it's not true. Everyone struggles, everyone has bad days, some more than others. And, you know, I just, if you're feeling like that, just wanna say it's okay. You know, we're human beings and life is messy and life is dirty, and life is painful, and to aspire to this like perfection of this routine is unrealistic. But that being said, it's a cliche, but yes, eating better and moving more makes you feel great. And I know we hear it from our parents, we see it online, it's annoying after a while. Believe me, I used to loathe health talk, and I used to laugh at it and make fun of fitness people. That was me projecting a lot of jealousy, um, but it does work. Uh, it really does. And I'm a great case study for that. Uh, so I hear you saying, look, I'm just, I'm too tired to do all of this. I'm just too tired. Um, and well, so was I. Shit food, no movement, wrong company. That will suck the life force out of you. Um, but doing these things eating better, moving a little bit more, practicing gratitude gives you energy. Could I run at first? No. I couldn't walk far either, but just in the act of eating a little bit better, starting to lose a little bit of weight and ease my joints and feel brighter in myself, I had more energy and I could then invest my en that energy into the next part of my journey. So action creates energy. Please remember that. Action creates energy. Let's talk a little bit about nutrition. Now, I am not a nutritionist or a dietitian. I know I say this pretty much every episode, but I just want to really drive that home that I am not qualified to give tailored nutritional advice. This is just from some studies that I've read on Harvard Health about how nutrition reacts in our body and what it can do to help us. And I kind of want to give you a little bit of an understanding as to why do things do what they do in our body and why they make us feel good and why they make us feel better because if there's one thing I have learned it's when you are well read and well referenced and you have an understanding of certain topics you feel stronger and when you're armed with that hopefully in the back of your mind you'll be able to pull on that information and say oh okay I, I kind of know what I should do today and I know why I should do it so first thing I want to talk about blood sugar levels. Um, in the realm of mental health, if your blood sugar is lower than usual, you might feel tired, irritable or depressed. Eating regularly and eating foods that release energy slowly can help with your sugar, help keep your sugar levels steady. Different people have different reactions to the same foods. So I'm not talking about anyone with any special medical conditions. This is very generalized information, not advice, information. So foods that release energy more slowly include whole grain 
bread cereals, nuts, seeds, brown pasta, brown rice. This is compared to foods like white bread, crisps, white pasta and white rice, which release energy slowly. Now, this is not saying that one food is better than the other. I eat all of these foods. But interesting, interestingly enough, I notice when you have those fast acting carbohydrates, they give you, you know, that spike in energy really quickly and then you crash back down. So if we're thinking about the days where I used to spend a lot of time in bed, it was because my diet was mainly um, crisps, chicken nuggets, <laughs> Red Bull, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I would eat those, have an energy spike, and then crash all the way back down, get back into bed, feel like I had no energy. Whereas now I tend to have more sort of um, slow releasing carbs, whole grain bread, cereals, um, that kind of thing, nuts. They, they're um, much slower releasing energies. So it will keep you sus sustained in your energy levels for a lot longer. Same goes for if you're fueling for running or anything like that, you know, slow acting carbohydrates in the morning, to take you through the day of training and then fast acting carbs you know just before half a bagel bananas peanut butter that kind of thing um it's just interesting when you start experimenting with these things and seeing how much it really affects you and your lifestyle and how much that adds up piece by piece is is very interesting um another thing drinking fluids uh, if you live with a mental health problem, you may not have the energy or motivation to drink lots of fluids. Um, but if you become dehydrated, this can make it harder to concentrate or think clearly. So this is something I am still getting better at drinking enough water. It, the amount of people that walk around this earth dehydrated, myself included, I'm literally looking at my fourth flat white of the day, decaf, don't worry, um, it's so important for brain function and for your skin and everything to be hydrated. So if you're listening to this, please grab a glass, a glass of water and drink it. Get that brain functioning. I Sometimes when I'm feeling really irritable, it's very interesting if I chug a glass of water or a few and wait a few minutes, I start to be able to think a lot clearer. And I think so many people are dehydrated and don't even realize it. So... Let's talk about protein. Diets higher in protein can support your mental health. Protein contains a chemical called amino acids, which your brain needs to produce chemicals called neurotransmitters. These help to regulate your thoughts and your feelings. How crazy is that? Literally protein in our food helps us regulate our thoughts and our feelings. I mean, you know, the stomach, the brain, the gut, everything, it's all connected. And I had no idea just how important it was and I go back to the point of how irritating it can feel to, to hear this information especially from someone who is already fit or your parents or whatever like it gets so boring to hear people saying just eat better and you'll feel better but it's so true and I hope this information today lets you bridge that gap between knowing knowing that it's going to make you feel better do and actually wanting to do the thing to make you feel better you can find protein in foods like legumes, peas, beans, lentils, nuts and seeds, milk, fish, eggs, cheese, lean meat, soya products. Um, so many ways of getting protein in. I think whole foods are always a little bit better, but of course there are an amazing range of protein supplements as well nowadays. Protein powders, protein bars, all of that stuff. Those, those Some people find those hard on their digestion, so if you can get the whole foods in, um, probably a little bit better. Healthy fats. Your brain needs uh, certain fatty acids such as omega-3, 
and omega-6 to keep working well. You can find healthy fats, nuts, seeds, avocado, oily fish. list goes on. So important for brain function. Healthy fats. So important. So I would say, you know, if you're not getting your omegas in, take a supplement. When I started taking omegas, I was I noticed a big difference in my thought clarity my and uh, my cognitive function. So <laughs> now we're going to talk a little bit about alcohol. I did a whole episode on my story around alcohol and we know that I struggled with um, alcohol dependency, um, nearing on an alcohol addiction for I would say around 14 months quite steadily being constantly uh, drinking and I'll preface this little part by saying you know it's absolutely okay to drink alcohol I'm not judging you my friends and family drink I think everything in moderation um, you know coming up to the festive season it's a time where it's it's around us a lot more and there's going to be mulled wine and mulled cider and festive drinks and all I want to do is have these open conversations so that people understand why you might feel the way you do when you're hungover and why prolonged alcohol use, I'm not talking about one night out here and there, just prolonged alcohol use might be a cycle that isn't serving you. So alcohol is a depressant, which can disrupt the balance of neurotransmitters, which is the chemical messages in your brain, and affect your feelings, thoughts, and behavior. Alcohol affects the part of your brain that calls, controls inhibition. So you might feel relaxed, less anxious, and more confident after a drink. I know that I certainly relied on it for all of my courage back in the day. Um, and it took a long time for me to rebuild my confidence away from alcohol and just in myself. But those effects quickly wear off. And the chemical in your brain can change and lead to more negative feelings, anger, depression, anxiety, regardless of your mood. So I am not an angry person, like at all. In fact, I find it quite hard to feel my anger. I usually revert to sadness. Um, but when I drank, I had really bad anger problems. Um, and I would cause, I mean, me arguing, it's hard to believe now because I am not an argumentative person, but I used to cause arguments with my friends. <laughs> my friends the people I love and not remember what it was about in the morning and that those feelings that just aren't me that weren't myself were coming up and coming out like some sort of demon and now I look back and I realize of course it was just the drink but that became my personality for a long time was just you know Cass is like crazy when she drinks and she's angry and she's passionate and she's crying on the floor and then she wakes up and doesn't remember it or blacks out and oh but it's all good fun right but alcohol it also slows down how your brain processes information so it makes it hard for you to work out what you're really feeling and what the possible consequences of your actions are and we all hear this, you know, waking up and feeling regret over something you did last night. And of course, when you're young or when you're older, there are some nights where you get a little out of hand, you get a little silly that I, I really want you guys to know that I'm not making anyone feel bad. It's I'm just trying to get you to have a little, just a little question time with yourself. Um, but if we're talking long term use, like someone like myself, alcohol uses up and reduces the number of neurotransmitters in our brain. And we think we need a certain level to ward off anxiety and depression. But this can make you want to drink more uh, to relieve these difficult feelings, which can start a cycle of dependence. So, you know, easing your anxiety, 
easing your depression, getting more confident, dropping back down, waking up feeling more anxious and depressed, needing more alcohol. You know, it, it is a cycle. And please, if you're feeling that you are struggling with dependency, ask someone for help, ask the relevant people for help. But it's just, it's about questioning whether, can I have a good and healthy, safe relationship with this thing? Is it making me feel happy? Is it supporting my lifestyle and the goals that I want for my life? Or can I have a little bit of a conversation with myself about how it's making me feel? So now let's talk about movement, of course, the big one. Um, and this was a big realization that I came to and something that I, I now realize to be very true. But, you know, humans are designed to move. We're not meant to sit still and rot away in front of our screens. And in my opinion, not moving is a form of self-harm. I mean, my step count used to be like 200, like go to the fridge, go to the door to answer Uber Eats, go to the loo. <laughs> that was about it. Um, and just be in bed. Uh, and like on the day of my ultra, it was 60,000. How crazy is that? And sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 2,000, you know, it ranges and ranges and ranges, but I am quite an active person. I would say I'm much more active in my lifestyle now. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the links between aerobic exercise, uh, which is um, running or cardio, uh, and the links between what that does for anxiety. So regular aerobic exercise can reduce anxiety by making your brain's fight or flight system less reactive. So when anxious people are exposed to psychological changes they fear, such as a rapid heartbeat, through regular aerobic exercise, they can develop a tolerance for such symptoms. So the craziest part about running for me is how much it helps me regula regulate my anxiety. And I suffer with, with quite bad anxiety, which is made worse by my job. So I, I really have quite a big task of managing it. And the one thing that helps me more than anything, and every single time it helps me, is going for a run or a walk if you can't run. Something about getting out of your head and into your body and getting those feelings of fight or flight off you, literally running away from it or running towards it, whatever you want to say, um, it helps so much. Uh, but, you know, that could be cycling, gym-based aerobic, resistance, flexibility, they have been shown also to reduce depressive symptoms. Um, exercise can be as effective as medication or psychotherapies. This is from Harvard Health, by the way. Regular exercise may boost mood by increasing a brain protein called BDNF that helps nerve fibers grow. For people with attention deficit disorder, ADHD, another study, study showed that a single 20 minute bout of moderate intensity cycling briefly improved their symptoms. It enhanced the participants' motivation for tasks requiring focused thought, increased their energy, and reduced their feelings of confusion, fatigue, and depression. Which is crazy. I used to struggle so much with my attention span and what I would call sticking power to things. So like I've explained in previous episodes, I used to have all of these like business ideas or things like hobbies and things I wanted to get into and I wanted to explore because I knew that 
I knew deep down that Cassia was like in there. She was just underneath like all of this like sedentary shit food, alcohol, cigarettes. She was just like pressed down underneath that. And my brain wasn't firing. It wasn't working like it used to when I was younger. And I just had no sticking power and no attention span. And I noticed more and more as I began to eat better. And this was in the very beginning of my journey when I just started therapy and I was trying to just eat a little bit better and maybe go for a walk three times a week. The changes were immense. That brain fog started to clear and I was able to access parts of my mind and my imagination. I have a, I think I have a lovely imagination. Sometimes it runs away with me, but I do live often in these fantasy worlds and I hadn't visited there in a long time. Um, like I used to play Dungeons and <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons a lot. Very cool, I know. Um, but I used to make up all of these fantasy worlds and I used to write um, comic books and illustrate comic books. And I just had this this brain that was full of these references and things that I loved and I could pick out and discuss them and be passionate about them. But it was crushed under the, my lifestyle. And as soon as I started to take these things away one by one, I started slowly peeling away that sort of shell from myself and I was able to then blossom and bloom into the person that I truly am. And I think that so many people nowadays are stuck in this cocoon of lifestyle that isn't serving them and is just compressing their true self, their true, beautiful, magic, vivacious self. That's a great word, vivacious. Um, from coming out and I see it I've seen it in friends and family members who are having a hard time or have got you know problems with uh just drinking too much or eating really shit food and not getting any movement and and you look at them and you see almost like this sort of shell around them and and you know you're like I know the tools to help you but like I said in the beginning, it's it's just not that easy sometimes. You can give someone, I could give you, here is your list. Here is your list of things that you need to do. But not everyone has the tools within them to be able to access that yet. So please, if you're listening, a step at a time, a second at a time, a day at a time, just a day at a time. You don't have to be perfect from the beginning, just little steps you can take to just peel those layers away from yourself and reveal what's underneath. And I'd forgotten what was underneath for a very long time. I, I mean, I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought for a really long time I was quite thick because I was having a hard time processing thoughts and even having conversations with people or having ideas. And I remember even my parents just being a little bit, we just didn't have the same sort of conversations that we used to. And it's just fantastic now to go to dinners with people or meet new people and, and be able to really express myself and be interested and be present. And it's it's all thanks to these changes. It really is. And now going back and looking through my journey and understanding why my brain function is doing what it's doing and why I have then in turn been able to build this life around it is fascinating. It's so fascinating to me. So putting it all together, uh, your mind and your body are intimately connected. And while your brain is the master control system for your body's movement, the way you move can also affect the way you think and the way you feel. Movement therapies are often used as adjunctive treatments for depression and anxiety when mental effort, psychotherapy or medication is not enough. 
when you are too exhausted to use thought control strategies, such as focusing on the positive or looking at the situation from another angle, movement can come to the rescue. By working out, going on a meditative walk with, with, by yourself or going for a synchronized walk with someone else, you may gain access to a backdoor to the mental changes that you desire without having to psych yourself into feeling better. And this is so true. It's like a little cheat code. It, uh, it truly is. Like I, I, For me, a 20 minute run without my, you know, without using my watch, without tracking anything or ha having it be for a reason. I have that in the back of my mind. And a lot of people uh, cycle, swim, stretch, yoga, whatever it is for you, whatever that little cheat code is. I know I have that forever in the back of my mind. And it's funny when I'm in really stressful times and I've been going through some stressful times recently. Um, running is always in the back of my mind. And I know that if it ever gets too much, I can just go for a run and I can get out of my mind and into my body and I can have those chemicals flood, the happy chemicals flood into my body and I can feel free and I can feel in control and I can feel grateful and I can move. And that is so beautiful. And I wish more than anything that I could go back in time and drag myself out of that goddamn bed and shake myself and say you've just got to move man action creates energy come on don't give up it's within you you've just got to try and peel back those layers and everyone deserves a shot at discovering who they are discovering who they truly are without all of the things that happen to you without the layers of self-harming behaviors that people live under that become automatic you, you should give yourself the chance to break the chain to say no I'm not going down that path this time I'm gonna take another one it's gonna feel like shit and it's gonna be really hard but after a while the path most trodden is the one you will want to go down and at the end of that path is the treasure that you are seeking in your life I promise and after a while the hard work feels good and you start to love the hard work and you start looking for harder things because people start to realize that it is hard work. That's life. It's hard work. And loving things being easy, it, it doesn't give you the same joy. When something's really difficult, it's a challenge. And as human beings, we are here to challenge ourselves and to do difficult things. And difficult looks different to everyone. For some people, difficult is calling the doctor. For some people, difficult is admitting to your parents that you're struggling. And for some people, difficult is running an ultramarathon through the mountains. But it's all the same thing. It's just saying, I'm going to fucking try. I think I've covered all the points I wanted to today. Um, I hope that was a useful uh, episode. I, you know, I'm, I... I'm very, very passionate about this topic and I think a lot of people don't realise just just how much you can get caught in this trap of self-harm without realising it with the things that you do. And it is different for everyone. Not everyone has the time, the finances, the mental capacity to implement a crazy 6am routine and go to these fancy gyms two times a day. And, you know, I'm not, I am not saying that. I'm saying, could you, could you look at maybe taking some vitamins, maybe cleaning up your diet by 40% better? Maybe you could go for a walk twice a week in nature. Maybe you could call a friend. There are so many ways of improving your lifestyle that 
one, don't relate to how you look. It's just about how you feel because, you know, I think disconnecting those two is super important when it comes to these sort of wellness journeys and wellness and wellness culture is often really sort of centered around this sort of like thin ideal thing. And if you're that, you're well, and that's so wrong. But disconnecting how you feel to, to how you look is very, very important in these journeys because you've got to cultivate a wellness routine for yourself that is rooted in how I feel about myself, not how I look, because if it's rooted in how you look and that changes because it always will, we grow old, we get injured, There's you can't control how you look forever, um, despite what social media <laughs> says to you. Um, but if you hinge it only on that and that changes, which it will, then you'll fall back down again. So please, if you are listening and you wanna go on these journeys, of course, it's amazing to to feel great about how you look and have aesthetic goals and you know I, I'm not just you know I think that's a cool thing to do and don't get me wrong I love working out and lifting weights and all that good stuff won't be forever but for now I do um but how I feel and I'm noticing this more oh god every year and now that I'm coming to my 30s I notice it more and more I put so much more emphasis on taking care of how I feel rather than how I look and anyone you speak to who really you know some of my mates who are in their 40s they just say god it really is about how you feel um and you care so little and well of course they care take pride in their appearance but you know the kind of like crazy when you're in your teen years of just obsession over how you look and how you're perceived does start to melt away and your routines come a lot more about nourishing your how you feel your lifestyle and what makes you happy so I hope that that nourishes you and makes you feel like you can make some changes. But like I said, arm yourself with knowledge, be well read, be well referenced and have this in the back of your mind. Why am I, why do I need protein? Oh, because it helps my thoughts and feelings. It helps me, helps me regulate my emotions. So if you know why you're doing it, perhaps it might be easier for you to follow along and, and do the things that feel good for you and make you feel good. So we're going to end on a quote, uh, not a poem, but I just thought this was so beautiful. Um, it is from a film and I have misplaced the name of the film. Um, so I will put it in the caption below. Um, but the quote is, let me fall if I must fall. The one I will become will catch me. So we'll end with that. Imagine all these things that you could do, who you would be in a year or two, how strong you'd be and you'd be there to catch your former self. So it's beautiful to think. Arm yourself with knowledge, do things that make you feel good. I love you all. I will speak to you next week. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe, stay strong, and lots of love.